Expedition 44! We are starting a new series today on Hell. This is probably the most anticipated, long-awaited series we've ever had before. And most requested. Yes, <laughs> lots and lots of emails. We have kind of danced around this subject for a long time and people have kind of actually jabbed us in the ribs of when are you just finally going to come out and tell it like it is. So, we're coming out and telling you like it is today. So, with that being said, uh, Matt and Ryan here and we've invited a new person to join us for this. This new person is Jana. And Jana, I've known for a long time, 20 years probably. and. Um, the way I want to invite you to get to know Jana is Jana is a normal person. She's a nurse, she's an awesome person, married lots and lots of kids, um, but I like to look at Jana as kind of the ideal churchgoer, which unfortunately is probably less than 1% of the churchgoers out there. So from God's perspective, what does this look like? Somebody that's passionate about Jesus, about ministry, about the gospel, but passionate about learning what the word of God really says. And this is really the major calling of the church. We get this wrong a lot, that we want to put this as momentary salvation and you know, things like that, but the major calling is to disciple, to bring people farther and deeper into their relationship with God, and Jesus is the Word. And so I really like Jan and appreciate her in our church because she's somebody that isn't content to kind of hang out around year two or three of Christianity where I'm afraid to say a lot of our church is left at today. They've kind of haven't gotten past that point. And so I like Jana because she's gone way past there. I, I describe this as crossing the Rubicon and you may or may not be there if you've, you know, if you've gone that far and kind of a open thinking of, you know, what is the Bible actually saying, that's where we're at. And that's a great place to be when you approach the topic of hell. So welcome, Jana. Thank, Thank you. you for joining us today. Matt, where are we going? What are we doing? All right. So hell. <laughs> That's where we're going. Um, we're not going there, no, but anyway. No. All right. Well, when you take the topic of hell, you have to frame it. We have to start with some framing questions. And the first thing that we need to do, everything needs to work in tandem with God's character. Yes. So that is when we go through, we're going to go through the three major views of hell um, that, and it might surprise some of those might surprise you yeah. because most people have kind of only heard of one. Right. <laughs> and so, but is it biblical? So that's what we're going to, and we have to base that in God's character. Yes. So, so everything is framed in the overall context, or sometimes we call this the lens of scripture. So when you read the Bible, start to finish the old Testament very much works in the New Testament and circularly comes around to support each other. So you can't come up with some concept out of a small scripture or multiple scriptures to come up with some framework that doesn't make any sense with the big picture. And when people do this, Matt and I pick on it, calling it theological gymnastics because we just feel like hermeneutically there's no place for it. So today we're going to approach an introduction to how do you think of hell in terms of a way that it fits with the character of God and the whole lens, the whole communication of scripture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so the psalmist tells us that Yahweh sits on his throne and he does as he pleases. So we assume that whatever God does though has a purpose with a end in mind. So God is intelligent, he's purposeful. Um, so we need to inquire when we're thinking of hell, what is God's purpose? Right. God is holy, if God is just, we always like to say mm -hmm. in this argument, we'll hear that in various different arguments, what does that look like? What's what? Why would God come up with the concept of hell? He can do anything, mm -hmm. and he's going to create hell. Why does it exist? Yeah. So, too often, I guess, when we're thinking about God, especially in Western traditions, we go with the adjectives, you know, yeah. sovereignty, um, in wrath, mercy, wrath. holiness. Yep. Yeah, yeah. But we don't often look at at the nouns. Um, Jana, what are what are some of the nouns that we see in the Bible that describe God? Love, light, life, spirit, one. 
Yeah, and so when we're looking at those, we need to interpret the adjectives through the nouns. Yeah. <laughs> so it's really important because when, if we begin with this concept of sovereignty or election, yeah. or a God who predestines and stuff, how does it fit into the things that nouns are what God's made of? Love, light, spirit. Yeah. And like when that. you don't look at it this way, you look at it the other way, you tend to find yourself kind of framing things more as a Western person mm -hmm. frames them. And that really is a problem because mm -hmm. that's not the context that the Bible is written in. That's not even really the message. And so we're constantly trying to break this American, I might even say reformed way of thinking. Yeah, yeah all the omnis and M words. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so the greatest point of issue here is getting to a correct understanding of God. So whatever hell may prove to be, it will be whatever God in his good pleasure created it to right. be. So, but it needs to fit within God's character and how we see God acting in the Bible, that the revelation that's been given to us. It it needs to be consistent all the way through, like yep. you said. And and based on what we how we see God act and how we see God approaching people through his revelation should be how we interpret hell, right. whatever hell turns out to be. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. So there's a few views that we're going to kind of approach. And when you put this all together, you need to decide that if you're going to take a specific view or even parts of the specific view, that it has to work out and can't be contrary to a major theme in scripture. Mm -hmm. And that is the problem with some of the views is that you get into some of them and the whole Bible seems to communicate this, and then the view of hell would seem something contrary or different mm -hmm. to that. And we're saying that doesn't work. It doesn't work hermeneutically in anything. We wouldn't approach any su subject of the Bible that way. So we're not going to let hell be approached differently in the same kind of thinking. We want to be consistent. Mm -hmm. All right, so we talked about God's character. So now let's look at some framing questions of how we approach hell. So the first one is covenant or courtroom. Yeah. So often in our Western mindset, um, we look at things through a judicial system. Yep. So we look at judgments through the courtroom. Um, and a lot of this, like you said, is, comes from reform thinking. And yep. some of those, the reformers from the 15th century were lawyers, John Calvin being one. When we get into this, you're going to see that things are framed a certain way for a reason. And mm -hmm. usually they don't really start in the Bible. And so mm -hmm. we try to just say, let's just stick to the word of God, sola scriptura, however you want mm -hmm. to say it. And so when we're looking at this, although there is some courtroom in the Bible, we really try to stay covenant more than courtroom. Yep. Yeah. So when we look at, at covenant, covenant's about family. All the judgments come as a result of yeah. the covenant. Um, and I think we have to remember that we're reading a Hebrew book mm -hmm. and we're reading from a, a, people who thought an Eastern Hebrew mindset. Very different. Mm -hmm. yeah. So when it gets translated into Latin and then to mm -hmm. English and we're on the other side of the world and we're speaking a different language, 2,000 years removed. A lot of variables. We, we have to... We have to work a lot harder yeah. to be honest and true to yeah. what the scriptures were saying at the time mm -hmm. and the place and with the people that they were yeah. that were writing them. It seems so foreign to us. Yes. I mean, it's so counter-cultural, counter-intuitive to what we're thinking. Hardly anybody thinks in an Eastern mindset, especially an ancient Eastern, Eastern mindset. mindset. Yep. So a lot when it comes to the covenants, um, and you talked about this this past week in your sermon, Ryan, yeah. is we need to come back to this view that frames a lot of the Bible is the image of God. Men yeah. and women created yeah. in the image of God to rule and reign in creation. And Psalm 8, like you said, yep. calls us our glory. Yep. So if there's any judgment, it should be framed based on our calling yeah. within the covenant. So when we look at this, there's a couple ways that we're going to look at this. There's, um, uh, We're going to do four areas here. One is sin and sins. The other is doctor, lawyer. The other is justice. And the last one is father. So these are kind of the four pretenses that we're going to ad uh, address the subject with. Yeah, so when we look at sin, sometimes we just put this as just moral disobedience in, in the West, but when we look at the story in the fall of Genesis 1, it's more about failing to be the image of God by going after things that are other than God. Yeah. So um, N.T. Wright calls sin idolatry. It's the disease and the things that we do, the immoral stuff that comes out of that idolatry is 
the sins. So, so it's when like you a disease misrepresent the, the image of God, when you fail to bear that image, that's that's where you're misrepresenting God, and mm-hmm. the effects are that you're going to sin. Yep. So yeah. So it's like a disease in the symptoms. Jana yeah. would know about this being yeah. a nurse. <laughs> <laughs> so and we see the wages of sin is is death. So eventually the disease will kill you. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of what we get. So God's purpose is to get that Eden project back on track, people in relationship with God, yes. being the image of God, and this is kind of where hell comes in. Where does, how does that fit in? Yeah. <laughs> so we need to look at it, frame through where, what the Bible starts with, yeah. and that frames the entire story of scripture. Okay. So, so Dr. Lawyer. Dr. Lawyer's good. So yeah. when we look at salvation and Jesus, and we hear him bringing the droves into what we would refer to as the gospel message, what is he doing? Is he personified as a doctor or a lawyer or both? Yeah, so we kind of see both. We see Jesus is our mediator, and sometimes we often put that as he's our lawyer in the courtroom. Yeah. But it's a priest was a mediator who went between God and the people. And and we're all there. We're all there. So, yeah, so we also see Jesus came to heal sicknesses in all in the gospels. So he came as a doctor. There's a lot of things. We always have squirrels in all of these conversations and there are going to be a lot of rabbit trails yeah. here. And so this really gets into atonement theory. This is another one we've, mm-hmm. people are just begging for this multi-episode atonement theory it's series and it's coming, <laughs> but this is really ingrained in that kind of thinking. You know, mm-hmm. you get kind of get into spiritual healing at the cross. Um, atonement healing, which is a whole nother thing. Is there physical healing in the cross? I mean, we could make film after film about some of this stuff, but simply put, your idea of whether you frame Jesus as a doctor or a lawyer or a little bit of mm-hmm. both is going to come into play with your theory on hell. Mm-hmm. Um, the next thing is justice. Um, justice is a big, um, a big view when it comes yes. to hell. Ultimately, God is a just God, as we talked about. So how does he bring about that justice? Is it retributive? Is it restorative? Or is it both? In the West, we think of everything through retributive justice. So we kind of get a, that is played into our view of hell. But what if it's restorative? Or maybe it's both. And when you look at covenant thinking, particularly in the Old Testament, you really don't see, I mean, people try to do the wrath of God and violence in the Old Mm -hmm. Testament as judgment. But the real picture is actually the other way. And in covenant thinking, it's much more restorative in nature than it actually Mm -hmm. is judgmental. So we're going to get into that and kind of talk about punishment and correction and walking with God. Yeah. And so the last one is God as a parent, God as a father. Jana. And I love that the Bible talks about God as our father. Yeah. Our father who are in heaven was how Jesus presented the father to his disciples um, I think this needs to be in our mind as we look at, at hell. Uh, if I could share a, a very personal story about um, a patient that I had. Uh, he was a dementia patient who unfortunately had stumbled into a burning pile of leaves and had burned his legs. And I had him as a patient years after and you could still see the damage that was caused by the horrific burn. And I was not related to this man, but I had pity and compassion on his plight and the pain that he was in. Yeah. And I was thinking about how um, the reason I'm so interested in this particular topic is because I think the traditional view that I have been taught with didn't jive with mm-hmm. what I know to be Something true about the love sense. of God. Yeah. It didn't make sense to me, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, and I think that's a big disconnect with a lot of people is that most of the time, if you're just sitting in the church pews every Sunday, you don't realize that what's being presented to you is is more man-made than it really is within mm-hmm. Scripture. And that's mm-hmm. a, a, a common problem and within our and church. It, and it, for, you talked about the bearing the image of God and doing that correctly. Yeah. It makes God appear to be um, very cruel. Yeah. yeah. Which, as a mother, I have a hard time with. <laughs> You so know. you kind of get into, people frame this as maybe cosmic child abuse sometimes, you know, <laughs> this this is going to branch into a lot of crazy arguments yeah. and things like that. And we're getting there. Not yes. today, Not but today. we're getting there. Yes. Yep. So again, I'll go back to, it has to fit the whole narrative of mm-hmm. scripture. Yep. Like if it doesn't match, the nature of God can't be this way here and this mm-hmm. way over here and not really make sense. Mm-hmm. It, it has to fit. 
Yeah, um, and all of us are parents. Jenna, you got five kids. I've got four. Ryan has four. And so when we're correcting our kids, if God is father, if God is our ultimate parent, how, the way that we correct our, our kids should be in line with the way that God does. Right. So, and the yeah. punishment has to fit the crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. And so, uh, so with these concepts in mind, so we got we talked about the character of God. God is a father. The justice, covenant, healer, judge. We can kind of approach hell. <laughs> so let's let's kind of give a little bit of an overview, a map of where we're going today. Is just the introduction. But in the introduction, we're going to get into each of the major views and kind of just give mm-hmm. you what they are. Yeah. And so. With that being said, what's the overview? So um, we're going to look at some of the common texts for the the three views, and we'll go through each of them. So we got the traditional eternal torment view. Um, another view is called conditional immortality or annihilation, and then Christian universalism. Um, this isn't pluralism, right? That all roads lead to God. It's Jesus is the one who saves the world. And all will be saved in that view. Um, and we'll get yeah, to this, we'll get but to these are all mainstream views. There's mm-hmm. also a fourth, which is an orthodox yep. understanding of hell, and it's not. It's a very, very it's, minor view. Yeah, it's a bit abstract, so we might touch on that a little bit. But um, through this series, so our first episode here, we're doing an overview. Second episode, we're going to examine, and uh, we're going to try to go through each view and present it as if someone who believe that view would present We're going to try to be unbiased. We're going to try to be hard on at yeah. least one of these. Yeah. yeah. And so we're going to let We're going to lay it out and we're going to look at um, the biblical merit for it. Yeah. We're going to look at it philosophically and then the strength and at the end of each episode we'll do strengths and weaknesses for yeah. each view. Um, uh, we're also having Chris Date. Yeah, from, that's yeah. going to be great. Yeah, from Rethinking Hell on, we're going to look at the big 3 eternal hell texts. Yeah. So the sheep and the goats and the two in Revelation, Revelation 14, Revelation 20. All with right. Um, and then we're, we'll conclude our series in the fifth episode, sixth episode, however long this goes, with Good. just some roundtable discussion on what we thought after doing all this investigation. And we never know. Five, six, we'll, we'll see where it loads. Yep. But let's first, before we get any further, it's really important that we actually just define hell. <laughs> that sounds so simple, but it's just crucial because people have such crazy concepts of hell. It's, it's, I call it the, the major person has a better Tom and Jerry idea of hell than what the Bible actually speaks to hell. Even just the word hell itself, in my mind, is actually a little controversial. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So let's address that. So there's like five or six different words that are all translated as the one word hell. And our we word- Group them all together, throw them I, all in the yeah. same basket. Yeah, yeah, and our word hell actually comes from a Norse word, which is the god, goddess of Hela of the underworld there yeah. from Norse mythology. And so that's kind of where we got that word yeah. hell from. But there's actually many words for hell in the Bible and each of them has their own context. So let's run through some of those. All right. So the first one is Sheol. And Sheol is kind of this Hebrew realm of the dead. You kind of have to think of it as kind of a holding pattern. Where everybody or, goes. Well, everybody yeah. goes. They everybody just kind of hang yep. out a little yep. bit, you know. What's happening there? They're dead. They're, They're dead. dead. <laughs> They're, dead. Yeah. They're just waiting for the resurrection. Yep. Now the other one is very close. It's Hades. And this one actually, we don't really know. It's the Greek word for Sheol and it mm-hmm. probably is the same thing, like but it might mm-hmm. be different. You yeah. know, there's a little bit of a different uh, disembodied implications yeah. rather than just Is dead. it the same? Is it different? <laughs> I mean, this is one of those things where I come to a lot where I just say, we don't actually know for sure in the Bible. You can argue it by clues this way and this way, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, even the best theologians in the world are going to sit here and say, mm-hmm. it could be this or yep. it could be that, yep. and we don't really know what to do with it, but we're mm-hmm. okay with that. So so with Hades, um, like in the Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you'll get Sheol translated as Hades. Yeah. But they go back and forth all the when time. When you look yeah. at the Greek philosophical literature, you get more of the same word for a disembodied type. Yeah. grave type state than yeah. a actual just holding place dead exactly like shield so now the next term is gehenna and gehenna is a little more abstract Beautiful this time of year yes <laughs> let's go there no campfires please yes <laughs> can i describe gehenna yeah. go ahead take it away do we have a 
picture? You gonna post a picture of Gehenna? Yeah, we will. And sure. Okay, we'll post a picture of Gehenna. It's actually beautiful. Take a little yeah, field you could, trip. You could actually go to Gehenna in Jerusalem. It's beautiful, grassy, green park at this point in time. But back in the old Jerusalem days, it was the place where they threw all their trash and their rubbish and had a fire that was just kind of constantly burning. So it was the it was a place of the worst place possible that anybody would want to be in yeah. Jerusalem. Mm -hmm. And if you do a little history on this, it's got some really dark connotations yeah. of mm -hmm. history. I mean, yeah. bile, bodies piled up at some yeah. point. I, I always referred to it as on the other side of the railroad tracks for most yeah. of the time. Now, uh -huh. I went to Moody Bible Institute, and the other side of the railroad tracks was Cabrini Green. It's where we didn't go. That was mm -hmm. the projects. And, you know, the first day going, you can walk this way, but don't walk that way. And so throughout most of Israel, that's the way Gehenna was looked at. It was It's kind of the connotation is hell on earth is what mm -hmm. it comes down to. Mm -hmm. And so... That's the way it was thought of, Didn't but... sacrifice? Yep, the, yeah. yep to Molech. Yep. To Molech. So Molech yeah. was in the same uh -huh. valley. Right. Yep. Hands and outstretched, and then they would, you know, have these fires that would make the hands super hot, and they'd paste the baby. Put the baby on them, yep. And that was something that didn't even come... The God said it didn't even come into my mind yeah. that yeah. they would do that. And there's all kinds of implications here. In 70 AD, in the fall of Jerusalem, yep. and yep. later in 73... piled up there. Again, you're going to yep. have you're gonna have these bad things. So typically when you talk about it, although you do go there now and it's been restored, it's beautiful, mm -hmm. you would want a house there now. Yep. <laughs> it's kind of a joke because throughout most of Israel's history, it's been bad. bad. Yep. Mm -hmm. Alright, so the next one's Tartarus. So in Greek mythology, this was the place where the Titans were chained up. And, yeah. and Peter in 2 Peter talk, uses this to talk about the place where the divine rebels from Genesis 6, yeah. watch our De Deuteronomy 32 worldview yep. thing there, are awaiting the final judgment. Yeah. So it says they're chained up there in Tartarus, and so Peter's using this Greek mythological place. Now, like it or not, so, this yeah. happens in the New Testament a lot. Mm -hmm. Now, people that aren't, that haven't crossed the Rubicon, I'll go back yeah. and say, <laughs> people that aren't there really have a hard time with this when mm -hmm. you say something yep. like this. When you say so much of Paul's writing was influenced by Greek mythology, and quite frankly, the normal person's idea of a lot of theological concepts are more influenced by Greek mythology and philosophers mm -hmm. than they are the Bible yep, itself. Platonic thought. Exactly. Yep. Um, so the last one's Lake of Fire. It's not translated as hell, but we can throw it into the bucket here. Yeah, and this so. is more of the revelation thinking of uh -huh. hell. This is really where the kind of left behind thinking and all this kind of stuff comes from is it really comes mm -hmm. in large part out of Revelation and it's probably all of them grouped in together and that's why people think of hell the way they do today. Mm -hmm. But usually when most people are talking about hell today, what they're really referring to is the lake of fire. Yep. Um, so let's get into just a little bit of uh, some fun facts from the early church All right. Um, as we get in hell. So the early church fathers, so if you look at the first couple centuries after the apostles and yep. the disciples, um, there was no unanimous view of hell. No, there are six theological schools and they were torn. They yep. were all parted. So four taught Christian universalism. Yep. One taught conditional immortality or annihilation, that was Ephesus, yep. and one taught eternal torment, and that was Rome. Okay. Now, before we go any further, let's just define these three things and maybe a little bit of orthodox hell. So, mm -hmm. this is going to be incredibly simple from the get-go, what, yep. what I'm going to present, we're because not, we're they're not doing complex. Yeah. Yes. We're not so, yet. so, don't correct me yet. Let's just, you know... Go easy on this one, but the first one is kind of traditionalism, yep. uh, and I'll refer to it as eternal conscious torment. Conscious yep. torment. There, there you go. The one that we're all taught. Yeah. The one that we're all taught. So <laughs> if you grew up being taught about hell in the Bible, this is what you were probably taught, as if the Bible just preached this from the Word of God. That that, that God actually came down in His hand and wrote, "This is the way hell is." And I've seen so many people stumble around trying to explain or make sense of this that didn't really get it, but what is it? Give us the five second breakdown be right. before we get to it, because I just want to do traditionalism and annihilation and universal reconciliation yeah. before we really start with it. So just yeah. so, give me the 30 second version. Uh, tra traditionalism is, so if you don't accept Jesus, all who have 
not accepted the forgiveness of sins go into eternal torment. The lake of fire where you'll be tormented day and night forever and ever there and even after you've been there for a thousand billion years you're just beginning. Alright, let's move <laughs> yeah. We're just gonna go there. Yeah. So that's good. Yeah. The next one is annihilation. Jana, summarize what, what does that mean when we say annihilation? It sounds really bad. Annihilation is then when people come before God for judgment and he just wipes them out, destroys them. So they are eternally destroyed. They're they're not conscious anymore. They're just they cease to exist. They're dead. They're, they're dead. dead. <laughs> they're dead. Um, the last one is universal reconciliation. Matt kind of started really quickly with that one of saying don't get this confused with pluralism. And so when you look at universal reconciliation, a lot of people in fact I'm going to even challenge you to say that if you're a God-willing Christian that believes in the gospel that everybody needs to come to Jesus, then this, you would be a hopeful universal reconciliation. That in the end, every knee will bow. All will come to God and find their way into a picture of heaven. Now, how that works or whatever, we'll get into that. Yep. So, those are the views. Um, so, let's just maybe look at some of the primary texts for each of the views. People notable advocates yeah. throughout history and some of the things that they affirm. Um, so start with traditionalism yep. or ECT, eternal torment. So uh, some of the primary texts, we got Matthew 25, the sheep and the goats, yep. um, the eternal punishment on one side, eternal life on the other. Yep. Um, Mark, we, Mark 9 is the next one. Yep. You're going to do cut off your hand, pluck out your eye, eternal worm, some of those favorites. Yep. Second Corinthians 1, 9, you're shut out from the presence, everlasting destruction. Yep. Yours. Yep. Yes. And then in Daniel, this is kind of one of the only mentions of it in the Old Testament for this view is the um, the righteous are raised like the stars and but the 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 others are yeah. eternal contempt. And then we're going to branch into Revelations. And again, this is really where the majority of this comes from. So Revelations uh, 14 kind of is the text where we get the tormenting, that yes. the smoke will rise forever and ever. And so mm -hmm. that's probably the number one verse that you mm -hmm. see the ETC people come to. But yep. you kind of get to the end too, to yep. Revelations 19 and 20, and we're going to see a little more language. Yeah, you got the mark in 19, you got those who have the mark of the beast are thrown into the lake of fire. Yep. Um, Revelation 20, you have the devil, the beast, the false prophet, tormented day and night forever. And those not found in the book of life are thrown into the lake of fire. So you got some advocates of this. There's there's church fathers, there's people that thought this way, Tertullian, Augustine, Thomas Aquinas, John Calvin. Most of those that are going to be of reformed theology tend to land here. Yep. Yeah, so some of the arguments and affirmations for this view is as consequence of being made in the image of God, people are immortal beings and must necessarily spend eternity in a conscious eternal state. All right, so before we go any further, this is not any one of our views. So we're going to be as unbiased as possible, but there are people that, you know, really mm -hmm. believe in each one of these. So what we're hoping to do is present what they believe and mm -hmm. why they believe. So yep. this isn't the time that we're setting the course. I just want yep. to interject that, yep. that we're just simply saying yep. this. And so if you're taking notes on the other end or whatever, we're, ju we're just we're stating just, it. Yep, we're just yeah. giving an overview of each view and what people who hold to these views believe. Yeah. So, yep, so the wages of sin is death. This doesn't preclude existence beyond the grave. So yep. the term dead in this view doesn't mean to cease to exist. It's just a state of your relationship to God more. It's more of a spiritual death. Yeah. Yeah. Physical mm -hmm. death. Yep. And then a large a large part of this is we kind of get the John three sixteen that everybody yep. knows of eternal life. life. They think of that as forever yep. life. And mm -hmm. so with that thinking there's if if this life is eternal then the other side is yep. eternal as yep. well. Yeah and then the other side is eternal separation as um, what most believe second Thessalonians one nine says. And all three of these views are going to be separation talking views. So yep. you're going to see that a lot. Now the orthodox view of hell is the only one that doesn't necessarily bring you the separation. That's the main difference between it. I'll just mm -hmm. interject that now yep. and we'll keep going. Yep. So after the final judgment, souls and bodies will be lost, cast into the lake of fire. In hell, the unbeliever will suffer eternal torment, yep. possibly both body and soul. Suggested as terms such as furnace of fire, gnashing of teeth, cast into outer darkness. Yeah. 
One of the big things with this view is justice. Mm -hmm. And we kind of were alluding to this a few minutes ago, but this is where a lot of the courtroom scenes are yep. kind of going to be presented. And the idea here is that God's justice is going to demand some kind of eternal punishment. Yeah. They say since God is eternal, and if you've offended or sinned against an eternal God, then your punishment must be eternal. That's the yeah. logic that goes into that. And there's also kind of a grieving thing that God will wipe away every tear. So a lot of times so, people say, well, how, how can I be happy? How can I be happy? How can I be with God if I know that everybody is burning in hell forever? You know, and there's friends or family. kind of this idea that <laughs> God can do anything. So in, in his omnipotence, that omni word we yeah. talked about, that God's just going to make those miraculously disappear. And mm -hmm. God could do that. We, yeah. We're okay with that. And another one is um, if they say if believers are finally seeing things from God's point of view, then they won't actually be sad for them because they've seen how much their these other people have sinned against a, a holy God, and so that that they won't even be sad based when everything is brought into the light. Yeah. That's that's the other. So one of the things that you're going to get into is is the word eternal, the uh, eternal, everlasting. All of those teams mm -hmm. tend to kind of be in the realm of ETC and the other ones are going to interpret those a little bit differently. Yep. So with that being said, let's get to the other ones. The next yep. one is conditional immortality. I like to phrase it that way, but the other word for it is annihilation. And annihilation actually sounds the worst of all three of them, but it's probably kind of the most graceful of all mm -hmm. three of them. Yeah. So let's talk about the primary texts for that one. Uh, John 3.16 actually the one we just talked uh, about yeah <laughs> where it talks about perish there perish in the conditional view means to die you know what's interesting is you know my background is i have memorable church history all the way back going to four years old and i've had this verse you know from the time you were in awanas or sunlight or whatever yeah. sunday school program you were part of and you never think of perish as in physical death it was yeah. always assumed even though you said the word perish, your thought was spiritual death. Yeah. It was never physical death. Mm -hmm. It wasn't presented yep. in that in any other way other mm -hmm. than that. So Yeah. And then you got same thing with Romans six twenty three. The yeah. wages of sin is death. Yeah. yeah. So and to the conditionalist it's spiritual death. Death yeah, it's Dead, dead means dead to them. Yeah. So then you, yeah. First Thessalonians 1 9 is uh, everlasting destruction. Yeah, so destruction, not destroying. Yeah. That's what it is okay. to them. So First John uh, 5, 11 to 12, he who has the Son has life, he who does not have the Son does not have life. Okay. Second Peter 2, we got Sodom and Gomorrah extinction equated to the lost. And so what they're doing there is they're going to take an example of Sodom and Gomorrah and say that if it was framed this way, then to be mm -hmm. precise, to, to hermeneutically address it the same way that you should yep. that you should do that. Yep. And so there's a little bit of proof. We'll get to that eventually. Yep. Matthew 10, 28. Don't fear the one who can kill your body, but fear the one who can destroy your body and soul in hell. Good. Yeah. Psalms, there's, there's lots of things in Psalms that are going to bear this primary image of God's en enemies getting complete death, end mm -hmm. of destruction. Yep. And it's, well, we'll, we'll get, it's hard to read those differently. You mm -hmm. kind of get this final, final yeah. understanding. And in all these views, I mean, we're going to get to the, the problems, the hardships of all of them. And yep. so that's another yep. thing. And then, uh, Philippians 3, 18 and 19, uh, where Paul talks about the wicked, their end is destruction. Um, Hebrew, same in Hebrews 10, 39, their end is destruction. Um, so some notable people through church history. Um, we got now, what you're going to see here is that there were some notable people of the past, but of late, mm -hmm. I would even go as far as to say most of the theologians of our day probably land this way. Yep. Yeah, so you got um, Arrhenius, um, Ignatius. Athanasius, Arnobius. Uh, we don't know if the Epistle of Barnabas was actually written by Barnabas, but it's an annihilationist text. Yep. Um, John Stott. And then we've got Edward Fudge. So yep. this is what's going to kind of connect these mm -hmm. two dots. You've got all the old guys, the church fathers and everything else. And then all of a sudden, Edward Fudge starts really working on that yep, original his, stuff. Mm -hmm. Yep. And then F.F. Bruce. Ben Witherington, Greg Boyd, who we had on the podcast yep. um, a couple weeks ago, yep. and Chris Date, who we're going to interview, is Very from good. this uh, this camp. 
So affirmations and arguments. What do they say? Only God is immortal by nature. And this is going to get into that eternal kind of thinking. Yep. Yep. And so first Timothy six sixteen says that God alone is immortal. And yep. so that's where they get this from. Uh, humanity's from dust. That's the Hebrew idiom for yeah. being mortal. Yeah. And we should make a video about that. Yeah. Oh wait, we did. Yeah, we did. <laughs> yeah. and, and Romans two seven says that humans are supposed to seek immortality. So if we are immortal, why do you seek it? Um, so God gives eternal life to mankind is on the condition of faith. Obedience, allegiance, mm -hmm. yep. faithful following. Yep. In, in scripture, the lost are never declared to be immortal. Their fate is described in terms such as destroy, consume, perish, and death. Yep. Good. Yep. All right. Some of these are going to assert that consciousness does not continue past the grave. This is a hard one. So when you start reading about what happens after we die, where do we go? So there's this idea of the heavenly thinking that some are going to, you know, kind of end up in heaven, this temporary playground, so to speak, getting ready for the recreated heaven and earth and the eschatology of ruling and everything like that. But what happens to those that aren't with God? We're going to get there. We'll get there. <laughs> yeah. So um, this view affirms that after death, uh, the wicked will be punished proportionally for their guilt. All will not suffer equally. The suffering and the suffering is not eternal. So it'll be given out based on what is done in the body. Yeah. So when you get in there, there's, there's three things that this view is really going to try to push. That punishment is eternal, that it's permanent, and that it's irrevocable. And so you get some of this in Matthew 25. But again, the other sides of the camps are interpreting these words differently. Mm -hmm. So though this view doesn't have the happy ending of the universal reconciliation view, it, it is a just resolution to the problem of sin in the world when the scriptures talk about sin being annihilated. And so if you give up life, you get death. I alluded that this is the most graceful view. And so when you term Jesus as love, grace, joy, you know, all those things, peace. Mm -hmm. In the end, what does that picture look like? Mm -hmm. Which which view holds closer? And this is probably the, the best or the easiest view to kind of look at that picture of what Jesus looks like and say, this one kind of fits. That in grace, if those that are not with God are simply just going to be gone, dead. You know, you kind of think of painlessly destroyed maybe or something like that. And the idea is some people within this view still think of the lake of fire connotations. Mm -hmm. yeah. Some take that as a more figurative view. But if you do have the lake of fire and you drop somebody, you know, from a tower and a extremely hot brim fire, stone, whatever, would they even feel anything? Probably they would just be dead. Mm -hmm. And so that's kind of the concept, the mindset of it. But then some of them just think that in God's power, like I explained earlier, that God is just, that's just figurative language yeah. for how God is just going to make them be done. Yeah. The finality of life. Yeah. So final view here. Um, is universal reconciliation. Sometimes it's called Christian universalism, uh, patristic universalism. Patristic is a fancy word for early church. Yep. Um, and, or restorationism. So Now this is my favorite. And, and I say this, it's funny, I don't really hold this view, but I want to. <laughs> like, it's a great view. I, I think if you are a believer, you want to see, for the glory of God, as many people come into the kingdom as we possibly can. That's kind of the the whole underlying theme of making disciples. Mm -hmm. And so in the end, what this is saying is that God is able and wants to bring everybody into his plan for eternal life in heaven and a recreated heaven and earth. Mm -hmm. So what are our texts for this? Um, we got Lamentations uh, 3, 31, 32. It talks about um, God's purpose for judgment is that God restores after he judges. Yeah. Uh, Revelations 21 is probably the one that I find the most interesting that says her gates will never be shut. Yeah, that's the new Jerusalem, the new heavens. And the this new idea that it's recreated and the gates are going to be open. So there's this connotation within this kind of thinking that at the end of the world, if you go into the great judgment and you meet Jesus and then you go into some kind of rest 
restorative act, and again, this could be framed as in some kind of brimfire yep. set. I mean, there's people that go that way, and there's people that don't, but in some way, you're if you're continually preached to, let's say, mm -hmm. we'll take the Old Testament kind of yep. Hades vision of that, that eventually everybody is going to come to that understanding. Yep, and it's interesting in Revelation that um, the same nations and kings that are the bad guys through all of it are the ones who are coming in and being welcomed in the tree of yeah. life. Its leaves are for the healing of those nations and those kings yeah. at the end. So um, Revelation kind of points at the end, even though there's all this eternal yeah. torment text there, the end of it is the same bad guys yep. are the ones being restored and welcomed into the kingdom. And then we have Romans 5.18, and that says, All die in Adam, and all are made alive in Christ. Yep. Um, Romans 11's got a bunch of this. All of Israel will be saved, and it says that all were shut up in disobedience so that and mercy how about all given, given mercy? And yeah, so all are given mercy. mercy. Yep. Yeah. And Colossians uh, chapter 1, 19 to 20, that through the cross, all things are reconciled to God. Um, another one is um, the beginning of Philippians, that every knee shall bow. Yeah. God desires all to be saved. Um, so now we kind of want to who holds this? And again, I say I'm a hopeful reconciliation. Mm -hmm. I actually don't really see the framework, so I struggle here mm -hmm. a little bit of how this is going to work. I don't necessarily see the text working it out, but boy, I'd love it if this was the plan. And you might remember a few years ago, one of my favorite pastor theologians was Rob Bell. And I think a lot of people were because you know, I, I was young when he came about, and I remember him coming to Willow Creek and, and teaching, and I was like, mesmerized. He brought a goat onto the stage and everything else, you know, and I'm like, what is going on here? And like, it was amazing. And then a few years after that, he comes out with this book, and I'm just going to say possibly takes this view because a lot of people would argue me on this one. Yeah, yeah he... He toys with it. He never outright says yeah. in in Love Wins that there will that everyone will come to Jesus. But, but he was thrown under the bus as a heretic. He was. I mean, people kind of associated this with pluralism, which we said you got to be careful you don't go there with mm -hmm. it. And for many years, anybody that took this view in the '90s was yeah outcasted. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, of late people kind of start to come around and you see theologians kind of going, well, maybe. maybe. You get this book that was written to refute it, which was Sprinkles and Chan, and years later, like, Sprinkles is gone. You know, that's actually kind of a good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it takes people a while. Yeah. I think Christianity is set up to not welcome questions to your theology because it, yeah. it tends to make people um, afraid that you're going to lose your faith. But uh, the, when I've studied under, like, the Jewish thought, they invite questions. Yeah. I yeah. like when Jesus was in the temple. One of the things that they were amazed is how many questions that yeah. he was asking. Questions? By, you answer questions yes. with questions. Yeah, yeah. exactly yep. right. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, Who are the notables, Matt? Who holds um, this? Clement of Alexandria. He was the head of the... Um, the school, theology he was big. school he was in a big Alexandria, guy, yeah. uh, Egypt, the yep. first one in his student, Origen, which we've heard, Origen took over that school after Clement died. Now, this surprises people because these are big, big mm -hmm. church father yep. names. You, you hear them a lot and most people uh -huh. just assume that, you know, people like that would have mainstream yep. views, mm -hmm. but the funny thing is, then it was the mainstream yep. view. Then we have Gregory of Nyssa and Gregory of Nazianzus, which were two of the heads of the Nicene Council, which Say wrote the Nicene Creed. <laughs> so these yeah. two guys were the authors of the Nicene Creed and also were the ones who formulated the doctrine of the Trinity yeah. formally, were Christian Universalists. Yep. Um, George MacDonald, yep. one of my favorite authors, yeah, he's good. Um, he and uh, C.S. Lewis were tight. Yep. Um, William Barclay. And where does C.S. Lewis fit into all this? This, he might yeah, might, might stumble here, here. More yep. closer than anywhere else. Yep, so. uh, Thomas Talbot and possibly Rob Bell. Rob yep. Bell doesn't openly say it, but So I've there. said this a few times. There's, there's basically these three views, mm -hmm. but there's still a lot of, whether you call them inconsistencies or variations, mm -hmm. there's mm -hmm. a lot of people that will take part of one view and another part of a different view and try to reconcile scriptures differently and kind of come up mm -hmm. with their own view. And this is really hard because 
um, I've been studying this for a year and even within the annihilation camp you get some people that you know call themselves nihilist but they're actually closer to universal reconciliation than I would say they are annihilation but they're kind of claiming a terminology or something else and you this is very common between those two is different parts and then like I said you have the lake of fire thinking which is which is typically really owned by the ETC camp but then it's acceptable within the other two camps to a certain mm -hmm. extent too so yeah. getting specific what are the arguments or affirmations of this one yeah so god desires all people to be saved that's the big one yep <laughs> yeah and so christ redeemed the whole world through his death and if all whom christ died are not ultimately reconciled and then Christ will never receive all the who he died for and ultimately becomes a cosmic loser. Now there's an awful lot. <laughs> that, yeah, according, like that that's one. according to the... Does Jesus get what he wants yeah, all the time? Yeah, yeah. so we, we kind of have, and we'll, I guess we'll frame it this way. In this view, um, Thomas Talbot's um, way that he puts this forward is, so in the Calvinist view, um, the reform view is God doesn't love everybody, but everybody whom he loves will be saved. Um, in the our more Arminian view is God um, wants to save everybody, but can't. And then in this view is God wants to save everybody and does. He can. Wasn't your He's son able. the one that prayed for Satan? Yeah, <laughs> to be saved, yep. <laughs> yep. What a great prayer. Yeah. You know? yeah. So. Doesn't Satan fall into the all category? Yeah. So that's a stretch for our minds, though. Yeah, mm -hmm. You can't really go yeah. there. Or like a Hitler or right. Mussolini. Yeah, type. Name, yeah. Do you uh -huh. want all people yeah. to be saved? Yep. So, so I think the greatest strength of this thinking, and there are tons of places mm -hmm. in the Bible that use the word universal salvation or restoration, mm -hmm. or at least a thought pattern that lets you think this. So... Even though I love the languages of the Bible and spent mm -hmm. a huge part of my life pursuing those languages, when you read any translation of the Bible, I say most of the time you get 90% or 95% of what it says is usually what it means. Mm -hmm. And so when you read these things and you read about restoration and you know universal salvation and things like that, there's a lot of verses that leave you going, well, there's got to be some element of this. Yeah. I might not be able to figure out or know mm -hmm. what it is, but... I'm not going to be surprised if when I get to heaven, yeah. God just says this is the way it is. Yeah. Um, so one of the things that people get hung up on in this view is they think that there's no judgment. But this yes. view actually does have judgment. So mm -hmm. at death, the wicked will be punished proportionately to their guilt or until they're brought to repentance yep. in, in this view. And so, and we don't know what that looks like yeah. again. So different people that hold the view see that differently. Sometimes it's in a brimstone lake of fire connotation. Mm -hmm. Other times it's more figurative. Sometimes people take it back to what was the picture of the Old Testaments mm -hmm. of the Sheol, Hades, yep. this disembodiment, yep. whatever. Sometimes you see preaching, teaching being part of yep. this. I mean, it's just very hard. And this is where then an orthodox view of hell sometimes comes yep. in because you you get some similar thoughts of something happening where the way that somebody reacts to God is actually going to kind of define their state. Mm -hmm. Don't think about that one too long. Yeah. So um, another part of this is that after they say after death that there could be um, option to repent. Yeah. So, um, and we'll get into these when we go through this this view. Some these more. are the eternal IRA options. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and there's certain periods of church history that actually this was the majority view. Yeah. Um, Augustine even says that it said there's a quote from him that many, if not a, gra a vast majority of the Christians during his time, held to this view. Now, the thing that I like about the view the most is that, one, it's all joy. It's all mm -hmm. happiness. Every, yep. Everybody gets a trophy at the yep. end of the day, you know? And mm -hmm. the other part of it that I like is that it has the least amount of arguments. If you mm -hmm. if you take this view and you try to argue somebody in the ETC camp or you try to, uh, you know, argue with the Annihilation people or something, at the end of the day, this one is the, the least arguable because it's just hopeful in in theory for the most part. Yeah, yeah. Um, and some people will say that this was pronounced as a heresy at the Fifth Council, but yep. it wasn't universalism outright, uh, Christian universalism outright. It was connected to some of Origen's crazy followers hundreds of years after him that took the 
pre-existence of souls combined with this. So I think this is where it's really important to say that all three of these views do have some kind of grounding in the mm -hmm. scriptures. E even the one that we're going to wrestle with, mm -hmm. you know, all, none of us are going to take the ETC view and, and we're not really inviting somebody that does take the ETC view beca because we do wrestle with mm -hmm. it. And so when yeah. we get to that one, that's, that's the hardest one for us to frame but the reason it's hardest is because there are parts in Scripture that seem to describe the the framework that they have created around mm -hmm. it. Yep, and all three views have been, as we've seen, have been held throughout church history by notable people of the faith. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so we got to look at, back to our questions at the beginning, which This, this is where we always come back to. Yeah. This is, we don't care about views. We don't care about denominations. I, I, I say that lightly. Yeah. We care about what the Bible, Bible says. says. Yeah. So yeah. we want to see what does scripture teach in context and what best lines up with the character of God. Yeah. So this isn't about when emotions. We're, when we're describing the character of God to people and inviting mm -hmm. them into a relationship these views do make a difference in yeah. how you view yeah. the Father. A lot of mm -hmm. people have walked away from the faith mm -hmm. over this exact topic And I sometimes right feel sorry for God a little bit because yeah. he doesn't have a body. Right. He doesn't have a voice. We are, we his, are voice. his voice. We are his body. So we are bearing false witness <laughs> yeah. about him and his character to the world. Yeah. Then he, what is he up in his throne going, right. oh my gosh, would you guys just What are you doing down there? So yeah. He, I think this is a little bit, of, you know, Deciding where people wind up and for eternity, it's a little bit above our pay grade. We're not going to have to make that determination, mm -hmm, yeah. but I think it's important to talk about it and to come away with the what best understanding of what we can possibly glean from the scriptures that God did give us, because yeah. He's worthy of that. Yes. Mm -hmm. I think He's worthy of us studying and trying to get it as close as we can get it yeah. to what his intention was and what the people i mean a lot of them they gave of their lives yeah. they were tortured they were yeah. all kinds of things just to write and and i think we have to do our due diligence even though we have to work a lot harder because it's yeah. not in our original language yeah. and it's not in our, our thought culture, process yeah. to get to, to the image of god in his character so that we can articulate that effectively to this generation i think that's for me that's why i'm so passionate yeah. about mm -hmm. this topic i like that yep so one thing that you have to keep in mind is that we are all priests of a royal priesthood. And our job following the priesthood described in all the Bible is to bring God to the people mm -hmm. and to bring the people to God. And mm -hmm. so we bring the people to God and then God, through his spirit, works on the lives of people and figures this out. The problem is, is that we haven't done a very good job of truly bringing God, the word of God, to the people. We've given them one option instead of yeah. three or four options. And a lot of that might be based on tradition that we haven't questioned. Tradition. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So this is going to be a great series. Yeah, yeah. I'm really looking series. forward to it. This is just kind of the nutshell of where we're headed, where we're going. Please join us for the next one. Jana, thanks for joining yeah, us. We're hoping we get you back for the rest of them here and uh, that you guys will enjoy the series. If you have questions, uh, takeaways from it, before we get too much farther, make sure you get those to us and we will answer them. May God bless you and keep you.